It's complicated. Today we begin a brand new series, Why Can't We Be Friends? And it's talking about how to have strong relationships. And we talk about why can't we be friends. We're talking not just about your friend's friends, but we're talking about your relationship with your wife, your children, with your workmates, the people you see every day, the people that maybe you take for granted. How can we get along? Well, the Bible's full of really marvelous tools that help you, help all of us, get our relationships right. This is why it's so critical that you learn to read your Bible every day to get instruction and guidance on how to improve your relationships. When I was 14 years old, actually even younger than that, I used to work with my dad on the trade. My dad had a plumbing company, and one of the important things that everybody who works in a trade does is get tools. And so at about age 14, we started building up a little toolbox for myself. In fact, it's a toolbox that I still have and still use to this day. And uh, all I needed was some basic tools in order to be able to do the work that my dad wanted me to do. I remember getting a tape measure. Tape measure the very first thing. In fact, the rule is you always have to keep your tape measure on your belt. Right, Dad? Dad's sitting right there. Had to have a tool. You had to have your tape measure. You can't go anywhere without that tape measure. Then we got two pipe wrenches, a 10-inch and a 12-inch, and one was an offset. doesn't matter if you don't know what this is, but for those who are plumbers, you need to hear this. I got myself two crescent wrenches. I got myself a hacksaw, a set of uh, screwdrivers, and I was, I was set. And by the time I was age 16, I was old enough to have my own truck, and I went and did service calls for my dad, able to fix toilets and sinks and unplug toilets, that sort of thing, and all with just the right tools. You know, the Greeks have a saying that if you have the right tool, you can do anything. Well, here it is, and the same is um, important for relationships. You have to have the right tools in order for you to have great friendships, great relationships. And some of you have come here this morning, and you had a fight on the way to church, and she wasn't ready quick enough, or he wasn't ready quick enough, and the kids used up all the hot water, and somebody had to have a cold shower, and somebody had to have a cold shave, and you came to church not in a great frame of mind. Well, hopefully by the time we're done here today, uh, things will change. You'll feel a bit better about the people in your life. Most importantly, that you'll have the tools necessary for you to have great relationships, to fix the ones that are broken, and to improve the ones you have. Look what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi. He says this, Philippians 2, 3 to 4. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So here's what I know. I know that everybody sitting in this room today needs to hear this instruction. In fact, if you read from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that it really is uh, story after story of people who were either selfish or unselfish. It's about people who learn to overcome their selfishness. It's all about what happens when we are selfish. Today, I'm going to say this to you. If you've got problems in your marriage or problems with the people you work with, if you've got problems with your kids, then I can guarantee you that at the root of it all, whatever you think the issue is, at the root of it all is selfishness, self-centeredness. And so in order to understand this 
critical tool. What we need to do is we need to understand ourselves. And so if we're going to have great relationships, the very first tool that you and I need to learn how to use, the tool that we need to have in our possession, is a tool called Others First. Could you say that with me? Others first. Tell the person beside you, others first. Yeah. So what'd they say? They'd like to hear that? I don't know. Others first. That's a tough one. And here's what I know about everybody here today. Everybody here thinks that they're pretty good at doing that. So what, what we need to do, first and foremost, before you become really skilled using that tool, is that you need to know yourself. Back in 1986, when I was a youth pastor, I took a busload of 50 kids to Expo, Expo 86. And what we were going to do there is we were going to do some, some missions work. We, were, we had different things that we were going to do to witness and tell people about Jesus. Now, does anybody know what teenagers are like? Uh, and, and actually, it's not just teenagers. Everybody's the same. But I'll tell you this. We're all pretty self-centered by nature. And we headed off on our bus trip, and I thought to myself, how am I going to do this? After 15 minutes of being in that bus, I thought, how am I going to do this for two weeks? And I I, I found myself just bowing my head, getting my Bible out, and say, God, show me what to do, because I don't know how I'm going to put up with 50 kids for two weeks. Well, the Lord brought me to a verse, Romans 12.10. It's not up on the, on the screen, but let me just tell you what it is. I know it off by heart. Romans 12.10, which says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. So what I did is I got everybody on the bus to memorize that scripture verse. And what we did then is we had the kids recite this verse throughout the day, every day, for 14 days. Sometimes we'd say it as many as 10 times. Now, every time there was the possibility, the slight possibility that we could be selfish, I had everybody say the verse together. For instance, if we were getting off the bus for a potty break or whatever, how many know that there's some people who have no concept of time? How many know that there's some people who, oh, squirrel, they're distracted very easily. They know they're supposed to be back in the bus in 10 minutes, but they're off somewhere picking dandelions. So what we would say is we get everybody before they left the bus to say the verse, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourself. So what we're doing is we're getting everybody to think about others first. So here's what I can tell you. After 14 days with these teenagers is that we never had one problem. We, never, we didn't have even one problem. Now this is even more amazing when you realize that the, the place that we went to was not ready for us. Somebody had organized this trip for a 1,000 youth from across Canada to come to, to Vancouver to do ministry. When we got there, we found that we were sleeping in a school, in a gymnasium, in a massive room. There was a room, in our room alone, there was probably about 100 kids, including the counselors or whatever. And we did not know this. And you know what they gave us to sleep on? Has anybody ever been to the dollar store? And has anybody ever purchased uh, an air mattress from the dollar store? How many know that the air mattresses at dollar stores are not made for Canadians, they're made for Asians? (laughs) So I had my feet hanging over the end, my head was hanging over the end, both arms were on the floor, and on that I was supposed to sleep. Now I'm going to tell you this, 
It was very, very tempting to complain and to grumble. It was very tempting for all of us to grumble and complain. And to make matters worse, the place where we, where we were staying, it had no showers. 50 young people, no showers. We were asked, where does the showering take place? Oh, well, you have to go to a swimming pool. Which swimming pool? Oh, the one that's down the street and around the corner. So in order for me to wash up in the morning and at night, I got to go to a swimming pool. Um, I learned, does anybody know what sponge bathing is? I learned how to do that. 50 of us. And I'm going to tell you, the conditions were ripe for extreme self-centeredness. But you see, we learned a verse. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Every one of those kids, every one of us on that bus learned what it meant to be unselfish and to put others first. When the Costa Rica team was heading off for Costa Rica, I pulled Mark aside and I said, teach the kids the verse, Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and, and repeat it constantly and you'll have no problems. Well, not only did they learn that verse and repeat it constantly, they even learned it in Spanish. So they were set. And whatever, if they were speaking in tongues or not, they, were, they knew what they were doing. They came back, no problems. Here's what you and I need to understand. Most of us really don't know ourselves. We really don't know what we're really like. We don't really understand how very self-centered we tend to be. On the Greek temple in Delphi, the, the temple to Apollo, there was two words in, chiseled into the rock. Gnothi sefton, which translates means know thyself. 2,500 years ago, Plato, the philosopher and student of Socrates, he wrote a book called Dialogues, and in that, in that book of Dialogues, there were six dialogues that concerned these two words, know thyself. Here's what we know throughout the history of mankind, is that we are people who are not really aware of ourselves. We don't really know what we're like. We really, most of us, have a very high opinion of ourselves. And most of us think that when something goes wrong, it's not my fault. It's Gloria's fault. It's the kid's fault. It's the neighbor's fault. It's everybody. It's not my fault. This is what most of us believe. And this is how most of us approach the tensions and the stress and the pressures in our lives. So here's the thing. If everybody believes that it's not my fault, then it's no wonder that marriages fall apart. It's no wonder people quit being friends. It's no wonder kids hate their parents. It's no wonder that there's struggle and strife at work. Jesus calls us to a brand new standard, a standard of what we call the law of Christ. It's a standard of love which means that we learn how to put others first. Because by nature, we are self-centered. By nature, we put ourselves first. Do you know, um, I don't know if anybody here has ever done the DISC profile. Everybody who's on, in leadership here or has been on a missions trip has taken the DISC profile. And basically, it's a profile that helps us understand who we really are and what we're really like. Now, one of the things that... I discovered about myself is that I am what they call a D, a high D. 
There's D, there's an I, there's an S, and a C. The D is dominant, the I is an influencer, the S is steady, and the C is conscientious. My dominant trait is be dominant, take charge. And if things have got to get done and they've got to get done fast, I can be a steamroller, and I don't even know it. One day I had someone come to me. They were crying. They were upset with me. I'd offended them. And I was, I was offended that they were offended that I offended them. I didn't even get that or not. And in my heart and in my mind, I'm thinking, have you any idea what I have done for you behind the scenes? Have you any idea how I poured out my life for you? How I have sacrificed time and energy and money to bless you. And you have the audacity to sit there and tell me that I have offended you and I have not been good to you. I learned something about myself. As I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to shut up and listen. Has anybody ever had the Holy Spirit say that to them? I sat there listening to this person, and I was ready just to let him have it right back. And how dare you say this to me? You have no idea how much I care for you. And God said, just listen, Alan. And I listened. And I discovered something about myself. I discovered that my manners and the way I approach things can sometimes be overpowering, overbearing, and I can frankly be like a steamroller. Why? Because I'm trying to... Because I'm goal-oriented. I want to get the job done. I want to I I achieve that thing that I've got my eye fixed on. And it sometimes hurt people along the way. And I did not know that about myself. I see myself as a, a shepherd who cares for the sheep in his care. I see myself as somebody willing to sacrifice and give the most and lay down my life the most and do whatever it takes to get the job done. But totally unaware that I was hurting people's feelings. Now, here's what I know about everybody here. I know everybody here does not always understand what they're really like and how they're really coming across. Psychologist Dr. Heidi Halverson says this. She says, The research suggests that other people's assessment of your personality predicts your behavior, on average, better than your own assessment of yourself does. In other words, what she's saying is other people know you better than you know yourself. The truth is, says Dr. Halverson, we don't know ourselves nearly as well as we think we do. How we see ourselves and how others see us agrees only 40% of the time. Isn't that interesting? Only Only four to 10 times will we agree with people about what they see about us. Most of us are that unaware, and some of us are extremely unaware. We have no idea of what we're really like or how we're coming across. Folks, this is why it's so critical, by the way, to be part of the church, to be part of a small group, where you can interact with people and learn the truth about yourself. Because again, if you don't have people around you that love you and care for you, and as the Bible says, tell the truth in love or speak the truth in love, how do you really know what you're like? I'll tell you this, Paul would have no reason to give us these instructions in Philippians 2, 3 to 4 if we were not all this by nature self-centered. Now here's the thing, most people don't know it and they're convinced that this scripture verse does not apply to them. I know some of you are sitting here today thinking, boy, I sure wish my wife were here to hear this. If my kids could only have heard this, I should get a tape of this. And you're, you're not even thinking about yourself needing to hear this this morning. I love what AA does. AA calls people together who are struggling with alcohol addiction 
And when people stand up to speak, they say, hi, my name is Alan, and I am, in this case, self-centered. It's an admission, a recognition that this is a fundamental problem that all of us have. Not just your husband. Your husband is not the only one. You are too. My wife is not the only one. I am too. By nature, this is who we are. And listen to this. Because we are self-centered by nature, our tendency is not to put others first. And this is why you and I need to get this tool into our relationship toolbox. We need to learn what it means to put others first. Because again, by nature, we don't do that. Now you show me, like I said, you show me any, any relationship that's broken down, you show me any, any, any crime that is committed, every mess up, you will find lurking in the background a self-centeredness. That's, that's who we are. We mess up our marriages, we mess up our children's lives, we mess up our own lives, we mess up our career, our finances, because of self-centeredness. Now, Paul says to put others first. So how do we do it? How do we do this? How do we use this tool? What does this tool look like? Well, let's take a look at it. Paul says, first of all, don't be selfish. I'm going to tell you this. To be unselfish does not come naturally to any of us. It's, something, it's, a, it's, it's what we call a conscious decision. We make a conscious decision not to be selfish. And here's what, here's what that means. It means that... You are always thinking about the needs of others first. Plain and simple as that. What does my wife need? What do my children need? What does my church need? What do, what do the poor and needy need? It means putting myself last. Now, as a single man, I, my, my income was for me and for me alone. So I'd go buy the, sh- the clothes I want, the suits I want, the shoes, the tie that I want. I could buy whatever I want. But then when I got married, well, that changed a little bit i got to make sure now that my wife has enough to get what she wants, and then I'll get what, well, with whatever's left over. If there's anything left over, I'll get what I want. And then when the kids came along, it changed everything again, because now their needs have to be taken care of. But you know how so many of us live? We, we live by putting our own needs first. Do you know that the number one reason why marriages fall apart or break down, it's, it's over money. And when couples come with their, with their problems, we can almost, it almost always flows out of money. Well, I want, I want this, and, and she says, well, I want that, and give me this, and give me that, and then just fight over money. What happens, folks, if we start to learn to put others first, starting right in our own family? Do you know that your kids know whether you care about them or not? Not based on what you say, but on what you do. And if your kids are angry at you not speaking to you, could it be, could it be that they sense that you are really caring more for yourself than you are for them? Last summer, we were preparing for, actually two summers ago, we were preparing to go to Burundi. We had our team together, and in our church, everybody raises their own funds, however, with a garage sale or whatever. And uh, a couple of, uh, maybe three or four envelopes came across I came across them and um, offering envelopes, and I thought there had been a mistake because there were some funds designated to the mission trip, um, and it was not for this person who was giving the money who was also going on the missions trip. 
This person going on the missions trip was actually giving money to other people. And I thought this person had made a mistake. And so I went to him and I said, I think you've made a mistake. He said, no, this is what I want to do. I want to give money to some of the other people going on this trip. And I said, well, what about yourself? He said, well, God's going to provide for me, but I feel God wants me to help out some of the others going on the missions trip. And he said, Pastor Allen, by the way, can you keep this anonymous? I don't want them to know it was from me. So I said, sure. So I watched with interest to see what would happen. And as it turns out, this, this young man who was giving money to some of the other people going on the missions trip, he was one of the first ones to get all his money in. And he had money left over. I pulled him aside after, and I said, uh, interesting how that worked, isn't it? Because yeah, Pastor Allen, I'm just, I just amazed at that. But he said, here's what I know. I know I've learned something from this. I know that God will always meet my needs, and he'll never owe me a cent. I thought, here's a young man who's learned what it means to put others first. But can I say this to you today? Because some of us have this idea that there'll not be enough. If we give, if we're generous, if we share, if we put others first, we're not going to have enough. We're going to run out. I've known so many people like that over the years. They'll say, Pastor Allen, I'll get involved, I'll help, I'll share, I'll give, but first, Pastor Allen, let me take care of my own needs first. I remember a church I was in, there was a board member who said, Pastor Allen, I'll start tithing. I don't know how this guy got on the board, but he said, Pastor Allen, I'll start tithing as soon as I get my car paid for. His car was paid for, and then he got into an accident. And he had to get a new car. And it started all over again. He never, that guy never did learn to tithe. He never learned how to give and how to share. But here's the problem. So many of us have this poverty mentality. We feel that there's not going to be enough. I want to tell you this. If you've given your heart to Christ, if you've learned to trust Jesus, then what you need to do is you need to learn that there is an abundance with God and that absolutely every one of your needs will be met. You can afford to put others first because God will always put you first. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now because some of you have been wrestling with this and you think, man, if I share, if I give, if I extend my time, if I, if I, if I volunteer my time to go to the men's uh, work be, I won't have enough time to get my own work done. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to challenge you. Learn what it is to put others first and watch what God will do. Because here's what I know after 30 or after over 40 years of serving God as a Christian, I know that God never owes me anything. I can't outgive God. And as often as I put others first and as often as I share and give, God is there giving far more. Do you know that when you put others first, you are actually imitating God himself? God gave his very own son, the Bible says. We just came through Easter, and that's what that celebration is about. It's about God giving his own son, putting us first. This is what Christianity is about. Paul goes on to say, don't try to impress others. Don't be selfish, first of all. Secondly, don't try to impress others. A pastor came up to me at a recent conference in October. 
So when all the pastors of Manitoba, Northwestern Ontario, we get together. It's a guy I hadn't talked to for, I don't know, a couple years. Not because we're mad at each other, but just because our paths just didn't cross. He comes over to me, sits down beside me, doesn't say, hi, Alan, how are you? Doesn't say, nice to see you, it's been a long time, how's it? Nothing. He comes, sits down beside me, looks me in the eye and says, I just spent $750,000 on a new parking lot. We just built or established a brand new work in the North End. We just, and they, just on and on about all the things that he and his church had done. I sat there kind of dumbfounded as I heard the whole laundry list of wonderful, marvelous, magnificent things that he had done. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we have to try to impress people? I'll tell you why. Because rather than allowing God to satisfy our hearts and to give his stamp of approval, we try to get it from one another. And in so doing, in grasping for the acceptance and the love and the approval of other people, we think we've got to brag and we've got to promote ourselves. When I was growing up, man, we were not allowed to brag about anything. We were not allowed to point out how marvelous or how wonderful we were. That was just verboten. I remember saying to my dad once, Dad, I'm 20 years old. I got my, my license when I was 16. I've never had a speeding ticket yet. And he said, well, touch wood. The closest thing to you is your head. <laughs> remember that, Dad? I'm not allowed to brag. I thank God for that kind of an upbringing. And I'll tell you why. Because what it means to follow Christ and to put other people first is that you don't look to yourself first. You don't promote yourself. You don't try to satisfy the longings of your heart. You don't try to satisfy what only God can satisfy. The Apostle Paul understood this so well because in Galatians 1.10, he says, if I'm still trying to please people, if I'm still looking for the approval of mankind, then I'm not a servant of God. He says, as it is, I'm a servant of God and I'm looking for the approval of God, not the approval of people. And so I'm going to say this to you today. If you're looking to or trying to impress people, trying to look for the favor of others, I would recommend that you stop that immediately because rather than impressing people, you will put people off because nobody likes to hear a braggart. You want the approval of God? Then stop impressing. Keep your mouth shut. And here's the interesting thing. Rather than looking for the blessing and for the approval of human beings, what you need to do is you need to start looking for God's approval, for his stamp of approval. And the way you do that, ready for this, is by putting others first. Not by bragging about the wonderful things you've done. By the way, can I just say this? When you brag about the things that you've done, what you're doing is you're saying, I don't need God, I did this on my own. Rather than giving glory to God, you're giving glory to yourself. Just a side note. The third thing that Paul says here is be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Jesus addresses this beautifully in Luke chapter 14. He's been invited with his disciples to a banquet. And when the 
disciples get there, they immediately, because they're with Jesus and they're important, they immediately scramble for the best seats in the house, the seats of honor, you know, the head table. And Jesus says, what are you guys doing? I'm going to teach you something here. When you go to a banquet or when you go anywhere, take the lower seat, take the lowliest seat of all, so that when the the one who's hosting this banquet comes in and sees you in the lowest place, he'll say, come with me. Let me put you in a higher place, in a place of honor. And then Jesus says, you will be recognized by everybody. But if when you get to the banquet, you go and sit in the best seats, and the man who's throwing this banquet comes in and sees you sitting in the best seats, he may come to you and say, hey, <laughs> you're in the wrong seats. You better go to the lower seats. Jesus says, you're going to be humiliated in front of everyone. You've got to learn how to be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. And then Jesus says this, Luke 14, verse 11. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to tell you, this flies in the face of everything that is being taught in our school system now. In fact, it's in our culture. Everybody is out for themselves. In fact, if you look at a lot of the reality shows... What are these, why do these reality shows, um, why are they so successful? It's because they build tension to see who can outsmart the others and who can eliminate the others. Basically, these reality shows are all about how do I promote myself? How do I get myself at the first place and destroy everybody else? How do I walk over everybody? And everybody loves this stuff because of the tension. And I'm, well, on the one hand, you're despising what's going on. On the other hand, you're intrigued by it. And it somehow strikes a chord in your heart because we're all the same. We're all self-centered. We would rather see other people die. We would other, rather see other people lose than lose ourselves. This is utterly and completely contrary to what the scriptures teach us. Psychologist Dr. Twinge has concluded over and over again, that younger generations are increasingly entitled, self-obsessed, and unprepared for the realities of adult life. She goes on to say this, and the blame falls squarely on America's culture of self-esteem, in which parents praise every child as special, and feelings of self-worth are considered a prerequisite to success rather than a result of it. There's a common perception, she says, that self-esteem is key to success, but it turns out it's not. Our culture tells us that in order for you to be a success, you need to, you need to have high self-esteem and you need to learn how to, put, how to promote yourself and put yourself first. She says it doesn't work. And I don't, this is not a believer. This is not a Christian psychologist. It's a psychologist if it is sharing her findings. Nonetheless, she says, young people are just completely convinced that in order to succeed, they have to believe in themselves or go all the way to becoming narcissistic. Does anybody know what narcissistic is? Narciss narcissistic, the word narcissistic comes from the name of a, a, a young mythological boy by the name of Narciss. And he would look into the water, and, and the, the, the myth goes that he's so in love with the appearance of, him, of himself in the water that he could not tear himself away. And there he dies, obsessed with a self-love. Here are the, some of the characteristics of narcissism. It's unrealistic expectations from them, for themselves and from others. 
materialism, low empathy. You know what empathy is? It means uh, empathy is the ability to, to connect with others and to relate with others in their pain and suffering. But narcissists, they don't care about anybody but themselves. It's a radical independence, extreme self-esteem, self-focus, I mean, we, we have, we've gone out for supper with people where the people we're with, all they do all night long is talk about themselves. We basically sit down, eat, listen, and then go home, and that's the end of it. Have you ever been with people like that? Narcissists. Narcissists choose more unique names for their children. I thought that was funny. Less concern for others. Less interest in helping the environment. And again, low, low empathy. So here's the thing. We're teaching our children to do the opposite to what Jesus says. Our culture tells us to put yourself first, to promote yourself, to get yourself out there. And Jesus says, don't do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, this really is a cultural, uh, cultural war that we've got going on here. We've got the teachings of Christ that say be other-oriented and our culture that says be self-oriented. What's it like at your house? That every man for himself... Or do we put each other first? I can tell you the happiest homes, I don't have to even go there, I don't have to meet the people, but I can tell you what's going on in that house where everybody's happy. The place where everybody is happy is a place where everybody has learned how to put the other one first. Or they're smoking weed. And by that, I mean there's no reality there. Number four, finally, look at this. Don't look out only for your own interests. Take an interest in others too. The Bible says that we're all created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, there are still traces of this in us. The ability to love people, the ability to care for people, the ability to sacrifice for others. This, my friends, is the image of God in us. The problem is, is that the image of God in us has been tainted. It has been marred. It's been molested by evil. In order for us to not look to our own interests, but to take an interest in others, it means that we need something radical, something spiritual to take place in our hearts. We need God to change us. And to help us to see what we're really like. The moment when I was converted, there was a change. I was just a boy, but I was changed. I knew that I was different. I knew that God had touched me. And I suddenly had a concern more for the people in my life than I had for myself. Some of you know that last summer we did a series on Israel. And we invited anybody who was interested in going to Israel to sign up. Two of the people, I'm going to embarrass them now, but I don't mean to. Two of the people that signed up to go, Aaron and Jared Iwanchuk, they were really contemplating this. They thought it would be fantastic. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Israel and walk in the steps of our Lord and see all the wonderful biblical sites? But after a meeting, they came to me and they said, Pastor Allen, we cannot go and do what we want until we go and serve those in need. We need to go to Africa first. So Jared and, and Aaron are heading out to Burundi this summer. I'm so excited about that. And I wish I could go. I want to go. Who knows? Maybe. But they're going so that 
they could put others first. And once they've reached out and made a sacrifice and cared for these little orphan kids, then, and maybe then, they'll care for themselves. How do we put others first? But what are some practical steps that we can take? I would recommend this at lunchtime today, when you sit together with your family, your friends, or whoever you're with, have a discussion about how self-centered you are. See what happens. You'll, if you sit down at lunch and you say, you know, I'm a self-centered person, the people around you will say, yeah, that's right. Finally, you see the truth. <laughs> but guess what? When it comes to their turn to say how self-centered they are, you could say, yeah, and so are you. Okay, so we know that about ourselves, so we don't have to panic. Nobody panics. Nobody has to be shamed. Remember, there's no condemnation. Romans 8 was the last series. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're self-centered by nature. Okay, so here's the thing. You and I need to help each other be unselfish. You and I need to learn how to use that tool called others first. You need to get that tool into your relationship toolbox. And here's the money-back guarantee that I'm going to give you today. If you will start learning to live for others and putting others first, you're going to experience a thaw in your frosty marriage. Those, your kids who have been talking to you for the past four years, if you put them first, watch what will happen. So here's some practical steps that you can take as you leave this place today. When you go into the, into the foyer, into the atrium, don't wait for someone to run over you to say hi to you. You go and say hi. Others first. And here's the vision I've got in my head. I see all these people running over to say hi to each other and sort of banging into each other. There's all kinds of people running at each other to say hello because you know that you're not supposed to sit back and wait. You're supposed to take the first step. Others first. You know, after this message this morning, talking about putting others first, I was hoping that when I walk into the, into the coffee shop there, I would see a real, sort of a, a, a different dynamic going on there. And I saw one of, one of our, our regular attendees sitting all alone, nobody talking to him. That really disturbed me. You know, you can go from this place, you hear this stuff and say, yeah, that's, that's true, that's good, I like that. But it's, it's all meaningless if you don't put it into action. So you reach out to somebody today when you leave this room? You say, Pastor Allen, I'm not that kind of a person. I, don't, I have a hard time talking to people. Just go shake a hand and say, hi, how are you? And if you've got nothing else to say, say, and goodbye. Everybody's heard the same message, so they'll understand. When you leave here today, why not practice some old-fashioned chivalry? Open the door for a lady, hold it open for her. Gentlemen, when you get to the car, open the door for your wife. Let her get in. Oh, I heard that. Oh, that just... It's like I just asked somebody to cut off your wrists. <laughs> when you're in traffic, you know, if you thought that one was hard, this is going to be even harder. When you go into traffic, someone wants to get in. Speed up. No. <laughs> Let them in. And if someone lets you in, don't be ignorant. Wave to them. I go to great lengths to make sure that whoever lets me in knows I appreciate it. I roll down the windows. I'm waving at them. Oftentimes they're texting. 
I don't know if they really let me in or if they weren't paying attention. Wave to the people. Do that. Others first. If you're going for lunch today, well, this is going to really hurt. Grab the bill and pay for it. It's not going to break you. I can tell you this, you're going to probably freak the people out. (laughs) If you're lonely, don't sit around saying, why doesn't anybody ever call me? Is your fingers broken? Pick up the phone and phone somebody. Phone somebody else who you think might be lonely. It's the idea of putting others first. If you had a fight with your spouse on the way to church today, or a fight with your kid. Your kids used up all the hot water and you had to have a cold shower. Your wife took too long getting ready for church and made you late. I don't know what caused the fight. Can I ask you to do this? After the service, put your arm around your wife, your husband, say, I'm sorry. Uh, I was, I'm, I'm really apologize. I'm sorry for making us late. And if you do that to your kids... Your kids are going to think you've absolutely lost your mind. (laughs) Say to your kids, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for upsetting you. I'm sorry for making you angry. I'm sorry. Put your arm around your kid. Tell your kid you love him. You love her. When you go to work tomorrow, why not just shock the whole office by bringing a box of donuts? (laughs) You see, Pastor Ellen, nobody does that at our work. Well, start something. And who knows, it might catch on. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because you're living by the law of Christ. You're putting others first. Befriend somebody. I'm going to close with this. When I was a youth pastor, we had a young girl come to our youth group. And she really was kind of the, one of the strangest kids I'd ever come across, really. Strange laugh, loud, hysterical laugh. Every time she laughed, everything was crickets in the room. Everybody turned to look. You know, you've, maybe someone's like that here, I don't know. Weird laugh, dressed weird. Dressed, you know, the bib overalls and big work boots. This is a girl. And... Weird hairdo is just a strange, really bad personal hygiene. And she came through those doors. I thought, oh, this is going to be a little bit tough. But I instantly felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And God said, put her first. And so that's what I did. I made sure she was included in absolutely everything that happened in our youth ministry. Every event, every time we were going for coffee, after youth, I'd make sure that she was with us when we went to A&W and we're out till two o'clock in the morning. I made sure that she was part of everything. And I asked her how she was doing and I talked to her and I treated her like she was normal. I purposefully did that. I was only at the church for about almost four years, not quite four, and I ended up going off to Greece as a missionary, and Gloria and I came home after that, and we came across her again. And she said, she took me aside, and I, I didn't know who she was. 
had no idea who she was, and she introduced herself. She said, it's me, Michelle. I said, I never would have recognized you. And then she laughed, and she said, I'm sure glad of that. And then she proceeded to say that because of the investment that I'd made in her life, because I, would, I was willing to take the time to care for her and to treat her like she was special, because I was prepared and willing to really care about her and care about her needs and include her and make her part of the gang. Because of that, she said, her life was changed. She told me a little bit about her childhood and what it was like at home and how terrible it was. She said, when I came to church on Sunday or on Friday night to youth, I knew that I was loved and cared for. And she said, you know what? It changed my life. And because it changed my life, I'm now in the ministry, Pastor Allen. I've followed in your footsteps. I've graduated and I'm serving now. There's a life transformed, a life changed. Because, because God in his mercy and grace impressed it on my heart to do my job. I'm not bragging, believe me, because I didn't do what I wanted to do. I did what God wanted me to do. I put her first. And it changed a life. And now she's going out and she's doing exactly the same thing, changing other people's lives. Wow. The domino effect. The multitude of lives changed because somebody put others first. I want to say this to you in closing because I know some of you are struggling in your marriage, some of you are struggling in your family, your problems with the kids, problems at work, I don't know. But I can tell you this, you will see an immediate change if you change your attitude and start putting others first. Your, your work environment will change if you're the one that sets the pace. Everybody's always waiting for somebody else to take the, make the first move. Folks, you and I as Christians are called to take the first step, to make the first move. And the first move that you and I need to do is put others first. That's the first tool in the relationship toolbox. And if you learn to use that tool, it'll change everything. You'll get reacquainted with your kids again. You'll get reacquainted with your spouse again. You'll learn what it means to be happy again. Because this is the law of Christ. It's the law of love. Which always means put others first. Let's stand together, shall we? God, thank you so much for the instruction from your word that tells us how to live this life. God, we admit to you, we really don't know ourselves very, very well. We only maybe get it right 40% of the time. And that's why we need to hear your voice and we need to hear what you've got to say to us so that we can change. God, help us, we pray, to put others first. God, forgive us for being so self-centered. Forgive us for our self-centeredness. In our hearts, we know how we have really been looking out for number one and putting ourselves first. And we know now, Lord, why... We're having a difficult time being friends with our spouse and our kids and our workmates. God, help us. Help us to be unselfish. Help us, God, to stop trying to impress other people and only impress you. Help us, God, to be humble, thinking of others as better than ourselves. 
Help us, God, to look not only to our own interests, but take an interest in the others too. Thank you, God, for this tool and help us to use it effectively and faithfully every single day. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, others first.